Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Just like fingerprints, every one of us has a different gut microbiome, and there is emerging research suggesting that it may well influence our health as much as our inherited genes do. Good gut health has also been strongly linked to our overall well-being, including weight management, energy, and stress. The good news is that there are plenty of things you can do to look after your digestive system and support a healthy gut microbiome. Bimuno Daily is a unique fiber supplement that naturally feeds and stimulates the growth of good bacteria in the gut. It's a taste-free powder that fits into your daily routine and is scientifically proven to increase levels of good bacteria in your gut within seven days. Visit bimuno.com and enter the code RETRITION at the checkout to get 10% off. Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to Food for Thought, a podcast on a mission to equip you with all the evidence-based advice you need to live and breathe a healthy lifestyle. I'm Rhiannon Lambert, registered nutritionist, best-selling author of Renourish, A Simple Way to Eat Well, and founder of Retrition, London's leading private nutrition clinic. In each episode, I'll be joined by special guests, all of whom can be considered authoritative voices in health, so that together we can learn fact from fiction and empower the healthiest and happiest versions of ourselves with trusted expert advice. Living in a society rife with diet culture can lead many of us to believe that people are perhaps just simply lazy and make poor choices when it comes to food and exercise. But have you ever questioned the potential impact of comments and beliefs like this? As opposed to motivating someone to lose weight, research shows that obese people who have experienced weight discrimination are actually three times more likely to remain obese. And worryingly, weight stigma can have some devastating effects on mental health too. I'm here today with registered dietitian Sophie Medlin to discuss the science behind fat shaming and what we can actually do to support those in need of help. Hello, Sophie. Hi, Rhiannon. Hi. Um, I think we've got to start today 
with the recent Cancer Research UK campaign because those billboards are all over London and it essentially implies that obesity is as bad as smoking when it comes to cancer risk. I'd love for you to share your thoughts on this campaign. Yeah, I think it, I mean, it caused huge outcry in our community, didn't it, in Mm. the sort of nutrition community. Um, One of the things that I think is really important to state is that obesity isn't benign. So we know that obesity carries risk. But the other important thing to think about is the fact that there's not anybody who is overweight who doesn't know that there are risks associated with that. So you're essentially stating something that's, one, already known and obvious, um, but two, then creates this stigma and this shame and this feeling that it's someone's fault if they are obese. And that's a really, really unhelpful way of putting messages across, in my opinion. Oh, I I couldn't agree more. I think it was quite scaremongering and really created a lot of fear for people as well. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I think maybe people didn't necessarily associate uh, obesity with cancer until the campaign. So in that sense, I guess it's mm-hmm. probably a success. Um, my issue with it primarily was that there was it was just a very direct sort of uh, blaming message with very little to back up the support that's, that's available, the support that cancer research are trying to make available. Yeah. And actually that would be a much, much help more helpful and healthy way of putting it across to say yes it's hard yes there is a risk but here's what you can do about it and here's how we can help you no I I completely agree so whilst it has raised awareness and this is why we have this podcast on this subject because I think that it's so undervalued the fact that the way we treat people and the effect it has on their mental health and then health behavior change is really important and given that research shows that obesity is associated with some cancers Do you think, I mean, what do you think would be the better way to communicate the message? Yeah, great question. I mean, it's so difficult to do these things. And I'm by no means a public health nutritionist or dietitian. Um, I think that the main thing is that most people will come to health when they are ready. And so having available the, um, having in public places, notices about what's available, what help is out there, who to turn to when people are ready, I feel is the right way of doing it. So in doctor surgeries or wherever else, if there was just information about what services are available for help when people are ready, I feel that would be a much more effective way of putting things across. Oh, completely. I think the word help there is really crucial because we should definitely all have at the back of our heads that we actually want to help people. We're not going to get anywhere from perhaps oversimplifying a message that is, as you said, complex and it's when people are ready. I think we can always use the example of perhaps a family member. So as a health professional, I'm sure you know this feeling or we know someone that you can't help in your immediate family because it's you telling them the message. Yeah. They have to hear it when they are ready to hear it. Absolutely. And I think that there is, you know, we can push these messages on people and we can try and encourage them, but that's not a helpful way of doing it in a shaming way. No. I always think about working, when I worked in the NHS for a long time, we, in the very early part of my career, I'd work in a diabetes clinic and the patients would be told to come by the doctor, by the consultant. So the consultant would say, there's a dietitian in the clinic in the room next door, you need to go and speak to the dietitian. And of course, someone who's being told they have to go and speak to a dietitian doesn't want to speak about their food. They're not ready. But when people were ready, you could have this amazing impact. And that's, you know, that's wonderful. I think that's one of the most um, difficult things for anybody working within the NHS as well, is that you're always going to encounter people that are not ready as well. Absolutely. Yeah. For you, that must have been a very interesting time. It was interesting and challenging and (laughs) not something I want to revisit. No. (laughs) 
<laughs> I completely, completely respect that. Another campaign I think we could argue over for a very long time, which definitely oversimplifies obesity, is the Eat Less, Move More. It came about in the 90s. Um, why is reducing obesity to something as simple as this a big problem? Yeah, great question. I think there's another one that everyone will have heard, which is shouting calorie deficit at people. Um whilst that message eat less move more calorie deficit whatever else people are saying is is factually correct and we're trying to simplify the messages um it means that people who can't who, who struggle still can't implement it so i get people coming to my clinic and perhaps you're the same mm. who are saying i know it's simple i know it's just a calorie deficit i know what i have to yeah, do but yeah. but i can't do it so whilst weight loss is simple in concept it's very difficult in practicality and that's where people like us can come in and really help people to understand the things the steps that they yeah. need to make in their life um i think that when people are shouting calorie deficit or saying calorie deficit and acting like it's easy, it might be easy for them, but for everybody else, it can be a real, or for many other people, it can be a real challenge to stick to those things and to make those things happen, especially when we live in the sort of noise of diet culture, which is saying you have to do this, you have to do that. If you're not taking these supplements, you're never going to do it. And all of these lies that we hear yeah. day on day. I couldn't agree more. And for any listeners that aren't sure, do you want to just classify what diet culture means? Yeah. So for me, I guess, and I'm not sure that there is a, a definition no, as I such. I don't think there is one, is there? No. What do you think? I think of diet culture as being all of these messages that we hear all the time about food, which are from untrained, unregulated professionals. Yeah. I'm going to put professionals in inverted commas on a podcast, which is always hard. <laughs> um, so pe people selling detox teas, people selling products, people saying that everyone needs to be thin, posters of women that only represent one body size, all yeah. of these kinds of things, assuming that health is only, only looks one way and that we should all be aiming for the same thing. Couldn't and all the companies who are throwing money at, at, at marketing budgets at trying to make people feel crap about themselves I and mean, they buy yeah. their products. It's subliminal messaging everywhere. Mm. I think it's something that we're not even aware of and that we grew up with, not even knowing that it was a thing. I think I grew up with one size on the TV. You grew up with this is the ideal, this is what's right. Yeah. And actually, yeah. It's Couldn't terrifying. be further from the truth. It is really, really scary. So I did a, I'll just give you a little anecdote. Yeah. I did a talk at my boxing gym, so I box uh, recreationally, and uh, did a talk for a kids group and uh, over the summer holidays. Oh, wow. It was so nice. And what, But one of the girls was probably about seven, and she was asking me whether fruit will make her fat oh, at no. seven. Oh, I no. was just so sad. And that's, that's a real real life example of how, how toxic diet culture is, even for very young girls. Um, so where she hears those messages from is scary um, and the fact that that's coming through to people to girls of that age and presumably to boys as well but less so is, is scary. I mean it brings me on to think about the fact that we also recently heard the launch of a major company discussing diet apps for children. Yeah. Um, what were your thoughts on that? Again um, I think that there needs to be a way for healthcare professionals to engage children in their health yeah. and to help um, young people to to manage their weight where they need to. The way that you approach that, in my opinion, is never through the children. It should mm. never be put on them as their responsibility. And um, I can see that kind of gamification of healthy eating and those sorts of things may engage children. But the direction that this app was going in and from what I've seen of it, I think it will just cause terrible relationships with food for the rest of people's lives. I I think something that 
it's very difficult unless you work in the world that Sophie and I work in to of course see the many different um, angles of this problem but first of all there's the huge psychological component to consider that at such a young age like the poor girl at seven asking about fruit and, and putting on weight that is something that will probably stay with her as a memory around food or an association her entire life and could affect her relationship with food and this is where we have to be incredibly careful and why a calorie deficit or counting isn't always going to be the answer. Like you said, one size won't fit all. Mm, absolutely. We can't control diff- what makes people tick, you know, the why they eat the way they do, which mm. is why nutrition is so not simple. Yeah, absolutely. Like people think. And why is obesity then such a multi-faceted um, problem? Well, I guess um, it starts off in childhood and I'm sure you're the same when you're with your patients Mm. and when I'm with my patients, I talk to them about their relationship with food through their whole life. All the way back. Yeah. What was your mum's relationship with food like? How did she talk about her body? What was your dad's relationship with food like? All of these kinds of things, siblings, everything, because it's so intrinsic. You know, everybody eats, everyone has to eat and it's such an important part of our culture and of our lives. But um, food is now in our faces in a way that it never has been. And I think that we have to remember that physiologically, we're pretty much the same in terms of our DNA as we were hundreds of thousands of years ago when food was pretty scarce and we were, Mm. you know, having to forage around and find food. And when we did and when we ate, it lights up that reward center in our brain. It makes us feel great. And that's what that's how we all survive. But ultimately now when we're stressed and when we're tired and all these kinds of things, we've got lots fighting against us on a background of having food in our faces and available constantly 24-7. Yeah. Food manufacturers know exactly what gets that reward centre lit up as much as possible. And exactly where and when you're going to be most vulnerable to wanting to eat those foods that are less good for us. Oh, it's so true. It's so hard and There it's are everywhere. so many factors. Like you said, I think we, we don't move as much. Food is available 24-7. You've got genetic um, elements now that we're discovering. Yeah. Stress can be a factor. Massively. Tiredness. Tiredness. You know? Yeah. And like you said, I don't think our bodies have evolved and adapted to the point where we have adapted to this environment where everything is available. No, absolutely. Someone um, said recently, when it was around the obesity camp, the obesity, sorry, the Cancer Research UK campaign, um, that actually we live in an environment now where it's where it's harder to stay a healthy weight and far easier to put on weight. So our environment makes it much, much easier for us to gain weight. And it actually takes far more resistance to stay a healthy weight than it is to gain weight these days. 100%, which is why the approach of calorie deficit is too simplistic, because you can't override your biological instinct or drive to want to eat. And when it's surrounding you, I think I also read some research that if food is in visual sight as well, you are more inclined to eat more than if it were not in visual sight. So if food were put away, I think it was in a kitchen in cupboards, Mm -mm. people just didn't think of it. But if it's there on the kitchen counter, straight away you are wired to acknowledging that it's there. Yeah, absolutely. And when I'm working from home, I have to be careful. Like like everyone else does, I'm working from home, I have to manage my environment because if there's cake in the cupboard, I'm going to eat it. I want it and I'm going to eat it. it's whenever I walk past the kitchen. I mean, I I swear we all (laughs) do this. I've got a laptop day at home. I'll go into the kitchen every time I get up and go to the bathroom and just have a nibble of anything. It's just something. something. (laughs) Yeah, it's so hard. And managing that environment, I think, for 
people perhaps like you and I who yeah. don't have families and things like that at the moment yeah. that's a bit easier but when you've got kids at home and you've got a husband and you've got people you've got to look after I'm, I'm talking very from a very female centric position but generally mm. if you've got a family at home and you have to uh, keep food in the house that perhaps they like or they need to eat you're managing your environment is much yeah. much harder equally for people in offices I hear it all the time yeah, there's always sure. a blooming cookie jar or like yeah, biscuit absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah I was talking to a patient the other day who lives with his grandma and his grandma oh. of course just loves to have everything he might like to eat available so there's also a conversation that I think we have to have around fat shaming also referred to as weight stigma or discrimination so what exactly do we mean by these terms so um, I think that there are there's some really interesting research into how healthcare professionals, which I guess is the crux of the problem, really, if we think about this um, strategically speaking, how healthcare professionals view people who are overweight. Yeah. And um, unfortunately, the research suggests that nurses and doctors um, think that patients who are overweight or obese uh, are less likely to stick to their advice they're mm. less likely to be compliant they're more difficult to work with they're perhaps not as clever as people who aren't obese and there's all this stuff there's that you know inbuilt inbuilt stigma in us and you know as I say I was working with these children last week and all of them are already talking about being fat and how being mm. fat is awful and of course being overweight is a very very common thing in the UK and we need to be kinder and we need to be more respectful and we need to understand that there's lots and lots of reasons why people gain weight in their life. Of course it makes me so sad because the underarching message that we should have working in a community where you want to help people as a health professional should be to be kind and motivate them and enable change but as you say because we grew up with a diet culture that says that one size is actually what's pro like the children it's programmed mm. into them unwittingly so i think a lot of people are fat phobic yeah. without realizing it yeah absolutely and sometimes well they do realize it you know i was uh on the train the other day going up to scotland for an event and um i could hear these two older ladies laughing at this overweight lady for eating popcorn <gasps> laughing at her and oh. i i just that's just cruel and unkind. You don't know what's going on in that lady's life. You don't know what else she's eating today. You don't know what her... All of the things that are happening. And she's eating popcorn. It's not like she's sat there eating chips. No, it's no. just such a difficult and thing. And equally, even if she were blooming eating oh, chips, God. like you said, we don't know what she's had that day. And <laughs> it's very, very difficult. And I think we're never going to be able to help people if we are just being plain mean. So assuming fat people have lost control or treating them as less important or mm. valued it's really really important I mean I think I even read something that said that people have a lack of eye contact so they feel like they almost can't look at you if mm. you're overweight powerful and I think this is the problem that in order to initiate change something has to happen so where and how does weight stigma occur is it every day is it from family members perhaps growing up teasing people I think that people feel that it's everywhere I think that people mm. feel that it comes from every part of what we do you know if we if we think back to when you and I grew up we ne you would never have seen someone who's overweight in a magazine or on TV no. ever it was, just wasn't a thing and um, so I think that people who then didn't look how the media made them feel they should look then felt that actually there's something wrong with them and that they are shameful and you know so many young people who start to gain weight in childhood, perhaps for genetic reasons or perhaps because they're struggling with their mental health in other ways, their parents will have started saying, you're overweight, you need to lose mm -hmm. weight and all this sort of mm -hmm. stuff. I can remember um, 
we used to go to church as children and a lady who was blind um, all through our childhood, She saw, I saw her when I was in my early 20s. I really struggled with my weight because I was not a happy person. And um, I can remember her hugging me in church at Christmas or Easter and she said, I always knew you'd be the fattest out of your sisters. Oh, are you kidding <laughs> no, me? But, and luckily, like my relationship with my body and my weight is, is, so is fine. Good, but, but doesn't that go to show? As an older person, like, I think there is that from that older generation of not realising how damaging that could really be for somebody, you know? Yeah, you hear it all, don't you? Things like, yeah. oh, you're the family hoover. I yeah, used to get yeah, that piggy yeah. at the dinner table. I had that too. Yeah. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah, I mean, it's everywhere. And I think that that's really tricky. One of the things that I think is really important is that we don't know by looking at somebody's weight we don't know what health behaviors they engage in Mm -hmm. so someone who is underweight or healthy weight may smoke they may have a terrible diet they may do no exercise at all and someone who's overweight may have a very healthy diet may still do lots of exercise may never have smoked may never drink alcohol you can't tell by someone's weight what health behaviors they engage in no it's it's nothing to do with willpower either i really Mm -hmm. just want to throw that out there i think a lot of people at the moment are also advocating that you're only healthy if you have a blooming six pack and Ooh. you're a certain size and actually people to achieve that low body fat percentage you see on the magazine front covers more often than not have practically restricted and starved themselves to get to that lean body fat percentage absolutely and the number of girls who so I did a post a, a while back now talking about uh, visible abdominal muscle so six packs in women and menstrual I cycles it. Yeah, yeah I yeah. it was great and I think that that's you know within sports nutrition which is kind of what everyone's aiming towards now the body of an athletes yeah we would worry significantly about menstrual cycles being disrupted we would worry significantly about long-term osteoporosis risk we would worry about all these sorts of things fertility and everything else yeah whereas women now are are thinking that's what they should look like they need to look like kelly holmes and have that six-pack and you know at that time she was that was her profession to look that way and she had a whole team of people looking out for her and i get lots of young women now saying oh I can't I, I'm worried about dieting because last time I dieted to get to this shape I, I lost my period I haven't had a period for six months what should I do mm. I'm really glad that people are starting to have those conversations because actually if what you're aiming for is not healthy it's just an aesthetic that the media has told you you should look like you know we're in trouble aren't we yeah no it's so so common and we hear it in the nutrition clinic a lot the whole um oh, I have a summer goal or I want to reach this specific goal in my mind of how I want to look. But what do you think health professionals then could do better? Um, I think that we need to acknowledge our own biases. I think that particularly in the NHS, people need to acknowledge when they are and understand and be trained in understanding when they do have these biases and when they do carry um, these assumptions about people's lifestyle based on their body weight. Yeah, because I heard, just to interject there, that research shows obese patients are given less appointment time and less health information. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me and less options. So I work um, specifically in the area of colorectal cancer and colorectal surgery and... um, my patients often will have not been taken seriously so they'll present with what I would consider to be red flag symptoms including weight loss sometimes uh, for colorectal cancer but they've been told it's just their diet they need to eat healthier they need to have maybe have a bit less fat in their diet and we're talking about people who probably eat really well probably better than the doctor but because they're overweight they're told it's nothing to do you know there's nothing so health professionals should be made aware absolutely definitely needs to be made aware I think it's great that we've got more representation of different body shapes in the media I think that's really important and really valuable totally agree yeah the more conversations we have about the fact that health does not 
equate to aesthetics and mm. that having a six pack and a thigh gap and a huge bottom and whatever else <laughs> doesn't mean that you're as healthy as anyone else and when that, those kinds of things. When you said all of that in one go, it just put this image in my head when you said, you know, it has to have thigh gap, tiny waist, big bottom, you know, everything yeah. that just actually would make you look like quite a weird human being. Yeah, I mean, and, and also it's just not achievable <laughs> no. through, it's, you know, you've either won the genetic lottery or yeah. you've had work done. There's yeah. no way, you know, if you're squatting no. all the time, you're going to build up the th- inner thigh muscles as well. Yes. And therefore you can't have a big bottom and a thigh gap unless you've had surgery or some kind of enhancement or you've won the genetic lottery. I'm high-fiving you so right now. <laughs> that is so, so true. And like you said, not. But I also think not dictating health via a number. Mm. I think too many health professionals still just see numbers, which I know there has to be a place, of course, in NHS work for a number system. But if you translate that into the general population, it's not always very helpful, is it, just to have number goals? No, not at all, not at all. I, I, my, my patients will measure their their progress by whatever means they feel is appropriate, and that's yeah. rarely weight. I don't really weigh people. I don't think no, it's particularly helpful. No, no, exactly. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. When it comes to body image, what do you think of the health for every size movement? I think there's some amazing positivity in that movement. I think there's some super positive stuff. And I think that it's important that we acknowledge that you can be healthy, as we were talking before, about mm-hmm. different health behaviours and not just about numbers and not about um, how much you weigh. Yeah, I think that there is... I struggle a little bit with the movement on a couple of fronts. One in that I think there's a lot of women who are of a very uh, socially acceptable body size, shall we say, talking about health at every size and saying, oh, obesity is great. And actually the, the spokespeople for that movement perhaps should be those who are struggling with their weight and those who 
um, are proud to be a certain way or whatever. I think that that movement needs to be led from it be people need to be empowered to lead that movement mm. from speaking from mm. their truth as opposed to someone else's perception of it. I also struggle a little bit with the idea that if someone comes to clinic and they say I want to manage my weight, they're told that you shouldn't think about your weight and you shouldn't manage your weight and you shouldn't be healthy um, and you can't lose weight and if you do you'll get an eating disorder. I think that's a bit overstated. I really struggle with that. I think um, everyone is entitled to want to if they if they need to or mm. yeah, it's their choice. Mm, absolutely. What size and shape your body is 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 up to you and that's your decision to make I find it very difficult to imagine my patients coming in who do want to lose weight and maybe who do have a terrible relationship with food and me saying you're not allowed to lose weight because it will give you an eating disorder that's not uh that's not true and it suggests not helpful no and it suggests that we as those who aren't practicing particularly in that movement um in in a sort of stated way um are doing a bad job with our patients and giving them all eating disorders and that's simply not the case i resent that suggestion yes no i resent it too and i think there's two very big dividing factors and i think it's why it's very confusing for the public because you have a huge movement with health at every size and like you say it's not always communicated in the most um friendly accessible way sometimes (laughs) it can be quite aggressive and aggressive yes aggressive is the word and I think that can be quite scary for people for sure and I find it very sorry to cut you I find it very interesting that for an inclusive movement they're extremely exclusive of anybody else who has a different viewpoint or who may want to introduce a new topic but then nutrition is a very polarized place it is which once again every listener of food for thought will know we are all saying you're unique and individual <laughs> and i think we say it on every single episode so what are your thoughts on the hashtags and people are using on social media and the, the phrase that's thrown around like love your body is um is it that simple just go no. and love yourself no it's not and i think that they're you know Everybody has bits about their body that they'd like to change, literally regardless of your size and shape. Nobody looks in the mirror and thinks, I'm perfect. No one does. Nobody. (laughs) And I think it's important to acknowledge that something that you don't have on your body or you do have on your body is going to be coveted by other people. So, you know, everyone looks at other people. Every woman looks at other people's bodies and thinks, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. Yeah, 100%. And now men are being pushed down that road as well with body image on social media and what have you. And actually... You can't love, I don't believe that anyone can love every bit of their body, but you can certainly learn to appreciate it. You can learn to talk to yourself far more pleasantly about your body and be grateful for the things your body can do and the things that you do have or you don't have that other people maybe cover. And that's, it's that comparison that really affects people. I think body acceptance and body love and body as opposed to positivity. I don't have to tell you I love the shape of my body. Mm. I don't always love the shape of my body. No. But I do sometimes. Most yeah. of the time I'm happy. Oh, it depends what stage of the month that oh, is. I mean, absolutely. come on. absolutely. And what I'm trying to wear that either <laughs> yes. fits me or doesn't fit me or whatever. Like, you know, there's all these We're things. all different shapes. Every shop you go into, you will be a different size. I know. And that's hard. <laughs> I just think we, yeah, I think body yeah. neutrality, I think, is, is useful. I think that love. talking about, you know, mm-hmm. um loving the bits that you do love and being positive. But I think more than anything, speaking nicely about yourself and to yourself is just so powerful. I agree more. And I think a lot of people, so you mentioned body positivity as a word as well there, which is another movement. Um, similar in a way to health at every size, you could say. But then there are some people that argue that that's glorifying obesity. There's two separate camps there. Yeah. Um, So I do have a relatively controversial view on this. And and that is that in the 90s, there was a big ban on women who were very clearly anorexic, um, being used as catwalk models, etc. 
and I think we can all agree that that was the right thing to do. We, yes. we should not be glorifying 100%. people who are of a very unhealthy body shape. And mentally unwell. Absolutely, at that end of the spectrum. Um, if we're talking about the other end of the spectrum, should we be thinking about actually what is healthy, what should be held up as positivity, what should be held up as health? I think that absolutely every body shape should be represented and we should see that and that's positive. Um, I do worry, I don't worry about glorifying obesity. I don't think anyone necessarily would sort of I think, think anyone chooses to be obese. No, I don't think so. No. I don't think anybody would choose that necessarily. But I do think that we... Uh, that representation is important but I also think that in terms of are we saying that's healthy we need to be a little bit careful about saying that being super obese or very obese is healthy. I completely agree and that's the difference there between having a health professional state it in the way you just did and then the very dogmatic social media voices that are shouting from each camp there so mm. we do have responsibility to put images out of health at every size as mm. they say mm. but equally we have to be accepting of the fact there are health consequences if you are under or overweight Absolutely. regardless so yeah. everyone has a choice and I think society can often make us think that if we aren't restricting calories and gym all the time that then we aren't really healthy yeah. why is this not the case well um super importantly i like to think about it in sort of the balance of your life so if you're getting up at five o'clock in the morning to go to the gym every day and you're losing sleep then we know that hungry sorry sleepy people people who are sleep restricted are likely to eat about 400 calories a day more anyway so by the time you get to the evening so you're going to be starving yeah. so if your exercise regime has you up and punishing yourself in the gym if your exercise regime is something that you hate and it feels like punishment then your mental health is going to be affected you're going to be constantly Hugely. all day thinking oh god i've got to go to the gym or whatever it is and then equally if you think about the way that you eat and the restrictions that you might put on yourself if that means that you can't pop to the sandwich and get us get sorry pop to the shop and get a sandwich if yeah. you're running late or means that you can't go out for dinner with your friends means that family meals become stressful means that I you know I have a patient who said to me oh my friend invited me to her hen party and I'm already worried about what I'm going to eat and it's not for months and those things should be positive and happy and exciting not things that cause you stress so um where your everything needs to be balanced including sleep and including your mental health and stress levels and all these kinds of things and if your exercise and eating get in the way of those other things, then you re- the balance is completely out. Essentially, it's a form of disordered eating in totally, the end. Yeah. And I think that in society, we see a message of if you're not running around every single day like a crazy thing, then you're not good enough or mm, you're mm. not putting enough effort yeah, in. Absolutely. Or you're not healthy, yeah. in inverted commas. And actually, yeah. of course, health is part of your mental health is just as important as everything else and if we're not looking after that then we're in trouble and I actually find this is anecdotal but a lot of the clients in my clinic that are on their weight loss journeys um, the minute they relax and they don't punish themselves and they don't go to the gym as often as they were they actually tend to succeed with their goals yeah absolutely and one of the things I do a lot of is talking about um you know exercising and finding movement that you love finding yep. hobbies that you like not yep. so much about food lots about lifestyle lots yep. of stuff about Even just walking around every yeah, day go to yoga do nice things find things that yoga. you love so we can all collectively do a lot to be more conscious and mindful of weight discrimination i think to recap and understanding that being overweight or obese isn't really the person's fault there are so many other factors there and for health professionals we definitely need to explain that I think all health professionals need to know that overeating is a natural physiological response sometimes to our environment. Absolutely, yeah. And that's hugely important, isn't it, to understand. So we've got lots of questions from followers today for you, Lovely. Yeah. Um, 
We'll do Isabel's first. So she has said, I feel like my workplace is discriminative towards my weight. Oh dear. Um, what should I do to try and encourage positive changes? Um, yeah, great question. So um, I think that's a, that's one for HR, to be honest. Okay. So I do some corporate wellness work. And when I'm in office environments, I always say talking about weight, talking about food in the office environment is inappropriate. It's not appropriate to comment on what someone's eating or not eating in the work environment. It's important to create a, an environment that you can eat whatever you want to, whenever you want to. Yeah. And there's no shame attached to that. But it's also important to provide... Um, food that make available food and healthful behaviors so for example um if you're providing snacks make sure that you're providing a range of different snacks that make that are, can lead to good health if yeah. that's what someone's choosing on that day yeah. oh, lots of offices will just have biscuits and donuts i went oh, to we work the other day it's just full of biscuits oh i've done so many talks where even croissants they bring yeah, in delish yeah. yeah great but you know <laughs> daily i yeah, don't know, I know exactly <laughs> so i think there's those sorts of things mm. i think um if somebody feels that they are being victimised in the workplace because of their weight, it's something to talk to HR about. And if the if it's coming from HR, if that discrimination is coming from HR, there are uh, agencies above your HR in your workplace that could support you. Um, so maybe citizens' advice type yeah. questions would be good. That is a brilliant answer. So definitely speak to your HR department, Isabel. Sally has said, I really want to lose weight and I've heard so many times that I need to be in a calorie deficit in mm. order to do this, just as we've discussed. But how can I eat less when I feel hungry or time yeah i mean as you said we live in an environment where food is constantly available and our environment does what we what we would call in medicine an obesogenic environment you know we are driven towards being overweight in the environment that we live in now it is difficult the thing to to understand is about why you're feeling hungry and how often it's because you're actually feeling hungry and how much of that is to do with emotional eating so um i would say that very few of our food decisions are because we're hungry and because it's healthy. So actually understanding why you're eating a lot of the time can be really helpful. And often that's because you're bored or you're lonely or you're sad yep. or you're too busy and you haven't done the right prep or whatever else. Definitely. And so actually just understanding why rather than thinking I'm hungry, I'm going to eat is really helpful. And if you do feel hungry all the time, then maybe you're not eating enough of the right foods at your meal time, and that you could feel fuller at your meal times and eat more satisfying food, which would make you eat less later. And in fact, if you have a copy of Renourish, anyone listening, we have a whole area where you can fill in a food diary and just have a think, am I actually enjoying what I'm eating? Why am I eating this right now? Like so I've said, is it because I feel I have to? Or is it because it's habit? What is actually going on there? So definitely go to that section there. Now, John, it's good we get some questions from men coming in as well. John has said, my doctor told me my BMI is too high and that I need to lose weight, but never actually helps me how to lose weight. Mm. Um, should he refer to refer me to someone like you? Well, you. the challenge is there's really not enough dietitians in the NHS to go no. around. So if doctors referred every person who is overweight or obese to dietitians, we would just have... That just we just wouldn't be able to happen. The waiting lists are already incredibly long. Um, so you can obviously find a freelance dietitian or a freelance nutritionist with the relevant qualifications um, if you want to and if you can afford to. But ultimately, there are lots of other things that are maybe a bit more affordable. So things like Weight Watchers and groups can be helpful for people. Yeah. But have a little look around. Your GP should certainly be able to signpost you to services that are, are available on the NHS. So maybe call the practice, call your GP practice and ask them what's around to help with weight loss. And hopefully you should be able to get some support from your from your surgery. Such a comprehensive answer. That was brilliant. Um, Zach has said, how can I ask my family to stop talking about my weight at the dinner table? 
Yes, very oh, difficult. That's <laughs> yeah. such a hard one. Um, you know, me and Rhiannon both shared mm-hmm. personal stories earlier about that sort of thing. So what? first of all, you're certainly not alone. Um, I would say outside of the mealtime environment, when you're not feeling cross and upset about it, take some time and speak to one member of your family and maybe say, it really makes me feel however it makes you feel when you talk about my weight at the table and when you talk about food at the table it makes me feel really uncomfortable makes me feel very sad and then you can hopefully take that forward in my opinion and experience um talking about something when you're currently angry or upset about it is usually less productive than taking a step back and talking about it when the heat's out of the situation completely when you're in a more rational state of mind emotions always get the better of us completely and the last question Priya has said what is really meant by eating in moderation such a good question (laughs) I mean how much cake is too much yeah, I mean, this is, I find this so interesting. We, yeah. as dietitians as well, and oh, well, all yeah, of us really, yeah. we band around things like have a balanced diet, I know. eat in moderation, all this kind of stuff. And like, we don't, the difficulty is you can't really quantify that stuff. So I can't say to anybody, you only allow cake once a week because no. that's not a helpful thing to say. No. And you, or you're only allowed chips once a week, like whatever. You don't have to have any of these foods. It's about what's right for you. And sometimes yeah. like, patients are asking me who are a healthy weight well I'm worried about my portion sizes and I say well you're a healthy weight so don't worry you know exactly as long as you're getting lots of fruit and veg in and you're getting lots of lean protein in and all the good stuff don't worry too much about how much cake is too much cake no I love that don't worry at all so we're moving on to my favorite part which is our fact or fiction round nice are you ready I feel ready good (laughs) (laughs) that's a good positive response okay (laughs) Over 34% of children aged 10 to 11 in the UK are overweight. I think that's true. Deprived areas have the highest levels of obesity. Absolutely true. Small sustained changes will produce large long-term weight changes. Definitely true. Oh, it's good. The sugar tax is working effectively. Oh, great question. Um, (laughs) I think there are some statistics suggesting that it is working effectively. Yeah, I think you're right there as well. Counting calories is the only way to maintain a healthy weight. Absolutely not. Yes, good fiction answer. Setting realistic goals for weight loss is crucial for success. Absolutely, yeah. Breastfeeding is protective against obesity. It is, yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just doing some reading about it. Yeah, interestingly, it is, Love. and it's it's less. I think it's probably also to do with um, the fact that most women who breastfeed are from higher socioeconomic groups. So it's not just to do with the breastfeeding itself. Yeah, no, good point there as well. Um, rapid weight loss is associated with poorer long-term weight loss. Oh, I don't know for sure. I think there is some good data around um, rapid weight loss and then health behaviours being adopted but I think probably in a controlled sort of research environment so probably yes as in it's probably not that helpful in the long run no making someone feel bad about their weight will motivate them to lose it absolutely not (laughs) like like we said earlier on so I'm interrupting the fact of fiction round but being dogmatic and one size fits all and being mean I don't think is ever going to help everyone no absolutely (laughs) um weight doesn't dictate health yeah for sure yeah that was an incredible round, Sophie. I am oh, so, so impressed. <laughs> and that nearly wraps up this episode. But as with every guest, we finish with a food for thought. So today I'm really hoping that our discussion has raised some awareness of weight stigma and will empower us all to be more mindful of how we behave towards those who are overweight. 
Contrary to what society might lead us to believe, being overweight is incredibly multifaceted. And if there were a true, simple solution, then we might not be seeing some of the scary stats that we see today. Those who are overweight should in no way be blamed for their weight. And we should treat everyone with the same compassion and consideration. Just as Sophie spoke about earlier, I think it's so important to show empathy and compassion. We are a human being after all, and the human race does thrive off sharing emotions. It's also important to remember that health does not come in the form of restriction and rules. So no matter which end of the weight spectrum someone's at, a healthy and happy lifestyle looks different for absolutely everybody and there is no one size that fits all. So Sophie, if you could share with our listeners one thing that you think um, they could really benefit from today, what would that be? So I think that first of all everybody knows roughly what they should and maybe should not be eating so much of in order to to manage their weight and what looks healthy um it's about understanding why you're eating more than anything else and understanding those eating behaviors and the drivers towards eating the other thing that i think is super important from today's episode is thinking about your goals and what you're aiming for and what's healthy for you and amazing if healthy for you is a six pack and going to the gym every day i don't know many people no there's a small percentage yeah absolutely <laughs> um i think it's this thing also about health coming from lots of different places in your life so it's not just about your physical health and what you look like it's also about your social life is that healthy do you have good creative outlets do you have is your life rich enough to make sure that your reward center in your brain is being lit up by lots of things and not just by food and those sorts of things can really help um i think thinking about the impact of diet culture on your life and where that's coming from and how you feel about that social media hygiene is something that's super important like get rid that. of anyone who makes you feel negatively about your body and whom you compare yourself to because ultimately you need to be the best version and the healthiest version of you which has very little to do with what you look like and much more to do with how you feel in yourself Gosh, I actually feel pretty emotional after today's episode. I think that's going to benefit, Sophie, so many people. So if you're listening, please do drop us a comment on today's episode. And Sophie, where can we hear more about you? Oh, uh, so um, my business is called City Dietitian. So we're citydietitians.co.uk. We're a team of consultant dietitians looking after people uh, with specific medical conditions. So as I said before, I look after patients with colorectal surgery who have had colorectal surgery or who have colorectal problems and I have colleagues in my team who look after people with all kinds of other problems as well. Um, I'm at Sophie Dietitian on all social media and everywhere Um, so yeah please get in touch if anyone has any questions or wants to um, hear anything more. Wonderful Sophie thank you so much for coming on Food for Thought. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Food for Thought. It really is amazing to know there's such a craving to hear from expert voices in a world full of confusing advice. If you enjoyed this episode, you will absolutely love what's coming next week. So please make sure you click subscribe to be the first to hear it. And please, if you have time, do leave a five-star review. It really does help to get our podcast out there to reach higher highs in the charts and hopefully help more and more people. For more information about my nutrition clinic, books, healthy recipes, events, retreats, and so much more, please visit retrition.com and follow me at Retrition on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Hey. 
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 